one more time, just say, stay, Holy Spirit. We welcome you in this place. We lift high this morning the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Amen. to draw near even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand and behold six men came from the way of the higher gate which leaneth toward the north and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand and one man among them was clothed with linen with a rider's inkhorn by his side and they went in and stood beside the brazen altar and the glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was to the threshold of the house and he called to the man clothed with linen which had the rider's inkhorn by his side and the Lord said unto him Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said, In mine hearing, go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then... They began at the ancient men which were before the house. And he said unto them, Defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go ye there forth. And they went forth and slew in the city. And it came to pass while they were slaying them. And I was left that I fell upon my face and cried and said, Ah, Lord God, wilt thou destroy all the residue of Israel in thy pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem? And he said unto me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood, and the city full of perverseness. And for they say, The Lord hath forsaken the earth, and the Lord seeth not. And as for me also, mine eyes shall not spare, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense their way upon their head. And behold, the man clothed with linen, which had the ink torn by his side, reported the matter, saying, I have done as thou hast commanded me. Let us pray. Once again, we just declare, stay in this place, Holy Spirit. Help our pastor to preach the word you've put in his soul and help us to receive it. We want the oil of heaven in this place, the grace of God in this place, the name of Jesus lifted high today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brother Zach. You may be seated this morning. We got a heavy word this morning. I'm going to get right into it in just a few moments, but we do want to remind you this Friday night we are having a chili supper for our debt relief program. We have tickets out available for you to either purchase or if you could check some of them out and go out and sell them. We'd like to have a lot of people come. The food is very expensive. I don't know if you've been buying meat lately. There'll be over 100 pounds of meat that we'll be cooking up. Just that alone is several hundreds of dollars. And and we want everybody to come out, though. Uh, it's $15 for adults, and everybody 12 and under will eat free. It's all you can eat. You're going to be having chili, and we'll have peanut butter sandwiches and different things that go with chili. And it's a good time of fellowship as well. It starts at 5 o'clock. You can come a little early. We'll be ready for you. And we're going to be going to 8 o'clock that night. So we want you to come out. Before I get started in my message this morning, I want to direct your attention to some of the latest news headlines over the last several months, 12 months or so. And I know this is going to be an unusual way to start a sermon, but I do have a reason for it and I do have a purpose for it. So just bear with me just a little bit. As I present these articles, I've omitted the names of the people in the churches of those that were involved because I, it's not my intent to bash or pronounce guilt upon somebody just over a news headline. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to expose anybody. I'm not here to preach against any ministry. I'm not here to bash any certain person or church. But let's look at the news headlines just in the last 8 to 12 months, just for a moment. Tuesday, January the 9th, 2024, Missouri priest punished for sexual solicitation during confession. December the 8th, 2023, class action lawsuit claims world-renowned ministries misled donors and the church covered up ministry sexual allegations. December the 8th, New Hampshire youth pastor kills himself two days after church fires him for credible child sex assault allegations. An Alabama mayor and pastor has died by suicide, authorities said, days after a conservative, conservative news blog punished, uh, published uh, photos of him dressed in women's clothing and alleged uh, that he was leading a secret life as a transgender woman. Manchester, New Hampshire, December the 31st, 2023. Authorities on Tuesday awaited 
collected the results of tests to determine if New Hampshire priest accused of molesting a minor took his own life. TBI, Tennessee Bureau of Investigations, investigating mega televangelists following sexual misconduct allegations. A Kentucky pastor turned politician commits suicide after allegations which accused of sexual assault. Influential evangelist is accused of sexual abuse and scathing report of several women over a span of years. Church named in sexual battery lawsuit. A lawsuit was filed in San Diego Thursday on behalf of six women who claimed they were the victims of sexual battery and harassment at a drug and alcohol recovery program affiliated with the church ministries in San Diego. Headline news on July 2023. Mega church pastor leaves his faith, goes to his congregation and says goodbye to Jesus and goodbye to his congregation. Famous and prominent TV mega pastor makes his LBGTQ views, seeks gay communities advice to help him form doctrine and ministry approaches to gay communities. Pastor leaves the Christian faith after 30 years. This mega church pastor becomes an atheist and claims to be humanist when he did not see recovery happen in conversions as fast as he thought that they should. Scandal in South Carolina. Pictures discovered of a priest exchanging explicit images with a minor. Scam alert. Church illegally soliciting in South Carolina misappropriation of funds, raising money on false pretense. World-renowned church founder and pastor resigns after an internal misconduct investigation had found that he had behaved inappropriately towards two women. Pastor arrested after going to McDonald's and assaulting people after his wife, who had managed the McDonald's, had called him and said that he was she was having trouble managing her employees. Pastor charged with stealing $1.4 million worth of items from Home Depot, Attorney General says in Tallahassee, Florida. Former pastor sentenced to 40 years in prison for molesting daughters in Lexington County, South Carolina. Church pastor arrested for identity theft and theft of merchandise in Memphis, Tennessee. A scandal of prominent television evangelists attending wild gay parties and having gay sex and having sex with minors. Ministers, child abduction and trafficking scandal and orphanage child sex scandal in Newfoundland. And the list goes on. Prominent pastor who was a creator, a crusader against gay marriage scandal where multiple male prisoners stepped up and said he pressured them into sexual relationships with him when they were in their teens and this happened in Georgia. We don't have enough time but to read, to read all the list of the familiar accusations and findings of familiar incidences that has happened just in the last 12 months in the United States alone. We would be here all day long and even up in the night just to try to get a portion of these kinds of articles read to you because when I got to investigating there were thousands of them. You might ask, well, what does this have to do with this text and what does this have to do with your sermon? You may also ask, what in the world is going on in our world? As a matter of fact, we don't see it much different than what Ezekiel did when God looked down and said there's perverseness in the city. There's all kinds of sins and there's the shedding of innocent blood. We see that in America. As I look into our text, we have to understand the setting and what has actually taken place and then I want to compare it to today's events of where you and I are actually living. I don't think we're really paying attention of what's going on. Prior to our text in Ezekiel 8, we see that God gives the prophet Ezekiel a clear insight through a series of visions while he's in captivity in Babylon of what is going on behind the scenes of the temple all the way back in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, God takes, uh, God uh, through a vision, takes the prophet Ezekiel back to Jerusalem and he walks him through the hidden places in the temple. Matter of fact, I think I preached a whole sermon on that just about a year ago. And this is where God, while this man's in captivity, God reaches down, picks him up, translates him into vision, and he starts walking through the temple that he's not allowed to be in. He's a prophet. He's not a priest. And God begins to take this prophet through this uh, uh, temple, and they had created hidden rooms uh, where there was all kinds uh, of abominable things being performed by the people. Some of those things and activities I cannot even talk about because of the mixed crowd here. It's triple X material, if you really want to be honest, of some of the things that they were doing. 
However, there was also all kinds of images and different gods in those secret rooms that they had created where the elders actually worshipped idol gods. Can you imagine all these secret rooms and these tunnels and all these different things that was hidden in the temple that no one else knew about except those temple elders and those temple uh, priests that would go down and do all of these abominable things and they thought that they had it hid. But even though it was hidden from most of the people, yet it was not hidden from God. And God begins to expose and he begins to bring these things into light. So chapter 8 involves God exposing and enlightening and revealing Israel's sins. Actually, what you would say is they made the headlines. All of a sudden, everything that had been covered up, God begins to expose it. God begins to put it on the front pages of the news. He puts it on the internet or whatever like he would in today's time. However, in our text in chapter 9 and Ezekiel chapter 10, which we can't get into all of that, but God actually gives us foresight of what he was going to do about all this activity taking place in the temple and his future plans of restoration. Now, first of all, I want to say something positive. Aren't you glad that everywhere, ever when God moves to begin to bring judgment or toward judgment to some people, he always has a plan of redemption involved for their future. Aren't you glad? Thank God for that, folks. Every time God begins to say, I'm going to judge something, yet he has a future plan of redemption and restoration. And the reason I read all of these articles is because many of them happened over a span of months and years and even decades. And what seemed to be buried and hidden and covered up and sealed and forgotten is now being exposed. Isn't that what Jesus said in Mark 4 and 22? He says, for there is nothing, say nothing, there's nothing hid which shall not be manifest, neither is there anything kept secret but that it should become abroad. And then there's something very unusual that I had never seen before in 37 years or 40 years of studying the scripture. It is found in Luke chapter 12, verse 233. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, Jesus says, or hidden that will not be made known. But then look at verse 3. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the ear in the inner room will be proclaimed from the roof. Now we read over that and we really don't pay attention to what he's saying. But when Jesus said in Luke 12, what you have done in the inner room in secret will be proclaimed from the rooftops. I believe that the inner rooms that he was referring to were those hidden rooms in the temple which they performed abominations against the Lord in Ezekiel's time. I believe he is using and what what he was using, what took place in Ezekiel's time as a reference point and a metaphor of future events. So Jesus was prophetically speaking here what God done in Ezekiel's day, there will come a time that he will also do it in our day. He said what you see in Ezekiel chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10, there's going to be a repeat of it in the day of the New Testament church. God works in patterns. He works in divine order and what he done in the past, he will do again because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How many knows that? I think this is where we're at right now on God's timetable. I think this is where we're at in our day. I think it is a day that God is revealing and exposing the works of the inner rooms of the temple first. Now listen to me. I'm going to preach something real wonderful here. It was Paul that said in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 17, know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. And if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy whose temple you are. If we are the temple of God and we are, and if God is exposing the inner chambers of the temple, then this means that we're living in a day that God is exposing the inner chambers of our heart. Come on now, this is a serious message. Now, it's going to be very weighty and very heavy at first, but it will get better at the end if you'll hang with me. He is revealing those hidden sins and those deep-rooted offenses that is buried deep within the recesses of our hearts. I believe that we're in the first stage of the end-time awakening that begins with exposure, enlightenment, and revelation. I believe that the time of revealing and exposing is it has begun, and it starts in the house of God first. 
first. I believe the things that have been hidden and buried and covered up for years, they're actually going to be revealed if they're not repented of. I believe that the things that have been done in darkness is going to be brought to light and it's going to be shouted from the rooftops. Are you listening to me? Hang with me. We are seeing this unfold right before our eyes right now. We are seeing it happen not only in the church world, but also among the corporations, the big tech, the Hollywood elites, the politicians, and even among our very own government. We are seeing exposure at a level that this world has never seen before. It's happening in the FBI. It's happening in the Department of Justice, the CIA, the White House, the branches of our military, and among some of the most powerful and influential people and organizations in the world. Even with all the money and all the power and the fame and the influence that these people have, they still cannot keep it concealed and cover up. It's all coming out and it's all being exposed and they're hitting the headlines and we're seeing it every single day. We are witnessing it with our very own eyes. This is not a coincidence, but this is of a divine working. It is the revelation of the Spirit of God in our time at work among us. Oh, Many of those articles that I read, actually a big portion of them, happened from the leadership, from the top elite, the mega churches are the mega ministries. We always know that the little guy gets exposed because he don't have the power and the influence and the money to cover it up. But we're seeing people of a mega influence and mega power that's got charisma, that's able to have these sweet smelling words to give it. They're being exposed as well. Are you listening to me? It happens among people that you would least think would even be caught up in such scandal and such perversion and such sins. It happened or is happening among prominent leaders, prestigious ministries, and to those that seem to have it all together. It's happened among the powerful, the rich, the wealthy, and the popular who have the means to keep everything covered up and quiet. And when it begins to be revealed in the midst of the worldly institution, then it's an indicator that we're living in what we call the last stage of step one. Step one is exposure. We're moving out of the realm of Ezekiel 8, which is the divine exposure, into Ezekiel chapter 9 and chapter 10, which is divine judgment. That's what we're moving right now if we're not already there. When the world begins to be exposed, it means that God has already been visiting, has visited with his church, and he's already exposed a big deal of our sin. We're seeing that. Folks, we've been seeing that for two years. Go back last year and just pay attention to the news lines of the thousands of them that's been exposed. Come on now. This pattern is seen even in the judgment of the world in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 5 and 6. Listen to what it says. Go after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have pity. Slay utterly, old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark. And then he says something real strange, but begin at my sanctuary. That's where you start. Before the calamity would reach the city of Jerusalem, it first started at the sanctuary in Ezekiel's time. What did Peter say in the New Testament about us? He says in 1 Peter 4 and 17, for the time has come that judgment must begin in the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them be that obey not the gospel of God? In other words, Peter says, before judgment falls upon a nation, it falls upon the church first. And all of this enlightenment, all of this exposure is God saying, I've had to expose you because you wouldn't deal with your sin, and now you're being brought to a time of judgment or a time of correction. Remember, Ezekiel 8 is the revelation of what is gone wrong, but Ezekiel 9 of our text is what God's going to do about this. This is when God has a belly full and he's bringing judgment out upon the city and the world, but it first started within the sanctuary and he's done exposed it and dealt with it. When you begin to move out of the realm of enlightenment into the realm of exposure, you have frustrated the grace of God and you have delayed your repentance too long and you have not dealt with that which God has enlightened you with, so God has to expose you. Are you ready? 
It's not God's will to expose the church, but it's always God's will to redeem, to save, to forgive, and restore the church. But delayed repentance will cause divine exposure. Divine exposure is also an indication that you're in the season of moving out of the realm of exposure into divine correction. God's saying, now what I've exposed, I'm going to correct it. I'm going to start working on your behalf to correct you, to punish you, to bring correction. How many know that God brings to correction to those that he loves. My dad used to put the, put the back seat of my, my honey on fire to give me correction. Can I have an amen? And this is what God is doing in America right now. God will expose the hidden things of your heart to you or he will expose it, up to, the, he'll expose it to the world. It's up to you. That's what God's saying. We're no different than what they were in Ezekiel's time. There's nothing new under the sun according to the scripture. And, and even in those articles, we see what happens today happened back then. I know that there, is, there was uh, 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 articles on theft, embezzlement, falsehood, lying, stealing, sexual sins, perversion, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality. All of that was seen in those very articles, and that was what was going on in the temple. And I know there's a law in Scripture that says, be sure your sins will find you out. I also know there's a law in Galatians 5, be not deceived, God's not mocked, whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. But these are divine laws that cannot be stopped, and they have been in place since time began. But when we see exposure on the level that we are seeing it now, then we know that we're living in different times. The level of exposure that is happening right now is not normal biblical laws at work, but they are a sign of God moving by his Holy Spirit. He's up to something in America, and he's up to something in the church. Get ready. I am speaking to you prophetically today as a prophet. As bad as we think divine exposure is, yet it's the first thing that has to happen before people can be brought to repentance and have a turnaround. You cannot and will not turn from something that you think you have covered up and buried and you think that you're getting by with it and there's no consequences. Amen? Divine exposure is actually God's grace given to us as a people. You have to have divine awareness before repentance can happen. There has to be an awakening of the soul. There are all kinds of people that know they have things covered up. They know they have things buried. They know they think they, think they got things hidden. But nothing can happen until they become aware that God sees what's concealed and they have to have an awakening of conviction because unless the Spirit of God convicts a man and draws him to Christ, you can't even repent. God help us. And isn't it, it isn't until they are brought to the awareness of their seriousness and the consequences of their sin that they will desire to turn from it because repentance is a gift of God. It's a gift. So, so all this exposure that is happening in the church and in our nation is actually a sign that God's moving, that God's at work. Everybody said, where's God at? I don't see I'm seeing him. When I read those articles, I see God at work. He's working in a different way. He's working in a way that we don't like. He's bringing divine correction to a people and to a nation. Can I have an amen? But what God's doing, it is called tough grace. Look at somebody and say tough grace. When we look into our text, which I can only give you a short overview of, folks, I cannot go line item by line item. We'll be here all day. It's wonderful stuff, and I don't even know where to cut this sermon. We see that now, after God has revealed the wickedness, that God has com that the that that the wickedness that's been committed in Jerusalem and in the temple, He's revealed it. We now see that there's a preparation made from the Lord for the instruments to employ judgment. The first thing that happens there is the removal of the Shekinah glory from the temple all the way to the threshold. Verse three. God says, the first thing I gotta do is lift my favor. God cannot put his favor upon somebody that's got hidden sin. God cannot come down and put a favor upon a congregation when there's hidden rooms in the temple where there's sexual, uh, sexual perversion and where there's adultery and where there's lying and where there's falsehood, where there's all kinds of stuff going on in their hearts. God cannot give his glory to such a church. Can I have an amen? 
He gives orders also to an angel of the Lord, God's messenger, who's clothed in linen different than the other warriors, which represents that linen represents righteousness. Most commentary says that this was Jesus Christ revealed in the Old Testament, that he was the one that was clothed in, how many knows there's only one clothed in righteousness? Can I have an amen? There's none that doeth good. No, not one. We are all like sheep that have gone astray. The Bible tells us that even the angels bow down and call out when they seem, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty. So here is what we think is a representation of Jesus Christ clothed in linen. And he gives him orders, the Father does, to go and mark all the people in the city with an ink horn. He tells them to mark them on their foreheads of those that sigh and cry for all of the that was done in the midst of the city of Jerusalem and in the temple. And before judgment falls, he begins to mark his remnant. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody lift your hand and praise the Lord. This is what this is all about. He is revealing not only the sins of the people, but he's also revealing a true remnant, a true church. He's exposing the truth from the false, the real from the fake, and the genuine and the counterfeit. I want to tell you, in these last days, God's exposing those that are false and that are fake and that are not genuine in the faith. Can I have an amen? We have all kinds of people that have been praying and seeking and searching and asking and begging and pleading, fasting, and it seems like nothing is really taking place like the, like the, the way they want. How many of us kind of experienced a little bit of that? Raise your hand. Yes, we've seen that. There's a big portion of the body of Christ that has become weary. They're tired, they're fatigued, and they're even frustrated. And everybody's saying, oh, we're in such a bad shape. You're in the best shape that you've ever been in your life when you're like that. There are those asking why, where, how, when are you going to show up, God? Some of you are asking that. Why wasn't so-and-so healed? Why wasn't this happen? Why ain't we seeing risk? Why ain't we seeing miracles? We're just asking those questions all the time. This is where the people of Ezekiel was at in their day. The Shekinah glory, the favor, had left the temple. The Shekinah glory that was over the city of Jerusalem, God's own city, the favor had lifted off to that city and the people were in heaviness and they were in travail and they were crying over the abominations of the land and they were sitting there saying, God, where are you? Why aren't you manifesting yourself anymore? Isn't that where we're at? I ask you, isn't that where we're at? There's been so many Christians just throw up their hands and say, I quit. I'm just going to sit here and wait on God. I can't do another thing. They're overwhelmed. and They're not losing their faith. They're not quitting their faith. They're not walking out on their faith. But they've come to the understanding, I can't do a thing about this. I just sit here and I'm in need of the hand of God. They've come to the awareness that they're in need of God. Can I have an amen? When this kind of atmosphere is prevailing, the heaviness over the people of God, then you know that God has started judging the church and the nation, and he's removing the unrepentant, and he's dealing with the sins of a nation, and he's out to make a pure people. But at the same time, he's cleansing and purifying and sanctifying the remnant, and he's marking his own for his future purpose. I'm here to tell you that God is coming back after a church without spot or blemish. He's coming back after a holy church and a holy people. The Bible tells us that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, that he might sanctify by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that should be holy and without blemish. That's what God is coming back after, a holy people, a holy remnant. And this is what has created the atmosphere of the church and the people of God, that spirit of heaviness that's on the people. The glory of God has been lifted off the church for a season, and the favor of God has been lifted off of us as a nation. If you don't believe that the glory of God is lifted off the church. Listen to me. The days of Billy Graham's uh, crusades, the day of Jimmy Swaggart's crusades, the days of, of uh, all these different uh, Oral Roberts tent meetings and, and all the Benny Hinn, uh, Benny Hinn uh, crusades where hundreds of thousands of people gather and the spirit of God would move and bless. You don't see that happening anywhere. 
them days are over. The days of camp meeting phenomenons when the people would gather in tents and gather in churches and have camp meeting all week long and the Spirit of God would come down and heal people of cancer, heal people out of their wheelchairs and things would happen and people would be baptized in the Holy Ghost and the fire of God would just fall all over the congregation. You don't see that anymore. The days of revival when you'd have two and three and four and five weeks of revival, you don't see anymore. You can't even have a revival on a Saturday and Sunday. People will come on Sunday, but they won't show up on a Saturday night service. What's happened? I want to tell you what's happened. The glory of God for a season has lifted off the church. God is resetting his church, and he's reforming our nation. And this is the heaviness that we feel. Feeling. We're in the time of divine alignment and divine correction. He's realigning us and he's reproving us. Have you ever been realigned? I go to the chiropractor every once in a while. Oh my goodness, Kent. And the next thing I know is, oh, boom. And you know what? It hurts sometimes. But when the realignment takes place, oh, Things are a lot better. We are in a time of divine reset. Listen to what Hebrews 12 and 11 says. Now no chastening, say chastening, for the present time seemeth to be joyous, but it's grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Did you hear that? What we're going through and what we're experiencing and what we're going to face in our future is necessary, though painful, but we're only going to go through it for a season. It will eventually humble and break and bring the church and the nation to the awareness for their need of God, and it will bring us to our knees. However, the peaceable fruits of righteousness will only be found on those that divine reset actually worked in where people did not despise the day of their correction or the day of their chastening. According to the scripture, the peaceable fruits of righteousness, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness only unto them who are exercised thereby. It means to those who will not despise the chastening of the Lord. If you despise the chastening of the Lord, the Bible says you're a legitimate child, you're fatherless. I don't want to be fatherless. I want my father to be my father. Can I have an amen? And I got to receive the correction of the Lord. Have you ever noticed that in verse 5, God tells the six men that had weapons in their hands who were in charge of the city, they were angelic warriors, and it was those that watched over the city, and they were summoned by God the Father to draw near and to take orders. They come and they say, okay, what do you need? And they were ordered by God according to verse 5. Listen. Go after him through the city and smite. Let your eyes spare, neither, let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. In other words, there was to be no more pity given. The rep time of repentance for some had run out. It was reaping time for the wicked, and they were going to be brought to accountability, and there was no changing God's mind. God was no longer going to be long-suffering, and he was no longer going to allow them to cover up their sin. Reckoning time was coming, and there was no way to escape it. The handwriting of the wall has appeared, and no matter how they connive, how they plan, how they scheme to try to cover up, God's going to expose them. And though God has suffered long, yet his patience had run out, it was like the parable that he gives us in the book of Luke chapter 13. You remember the owner of a garden? He came, which was God the Father, and for three years he sought fruit from a tree that he planted in that garden himself in the best of ground, and he found no fruit on that tree. And God said, cut it down. Why waste all your time with it, and why let it take up the nutrients of the soil? But the gardener answered. Now the owner is saying, cut down the tree that I planted, and the gardener answers, which is Jesus. He's the vine, we're the branches. And he said, oh, just give it one more year. I will dung around it, I'll fertilize it, I'll water it, I'll, I'll nurture it, I'll take care of it, I'll prune it, and I will do everything I can. And if it doesn't bear fruit after one year, then you can cut it down. This was God the Father seeking fruit from the fig tree, which was Israel. We see that because Job chapter 1 says the fig tree is Israel. And we know that the fig tree is a, uh, uh, is a symbolic of Israel all through Scripture. So he sought fruit for three years on Israel, which was the amount of time that Jesus done his earthly ministry among them. 
As a matter of fact, but he still could not find fruit while Jesus done ministry among them. He healed the sick. He cried. He interceded. He done miracles among them. He fed them. He loved them. He taught them. And yet Israel did not respond. Jesus came to his own, the Jewish nation, and his own received him not. Come on now. So Jesus for three years dealt with the nation of Israel that Israel might become that chosen nation to perpetuate the gospel around the world and they rejected him. And God sees it and he says, cut them down. Jesus says, no. Jesus, who was the divine interceder, prayed for Israel and gave pity upon them and he gave them one more year to bear fruit due to Jesus' intercessory. God the Father answered that prayer. He said, all right, I'll give you one year. But when, it, but when he came after that year, we see that he sought fruit again upon Israel and there still wasn't any. And God, according to the scripture, cast off the natural branch. He cut it off and he rejected Israel. We know that to be true. And he grafted in what we call the wild olive branch, which is the Gentiles, and then he gave us a warning. This is what he says to us in Romans eleven twenty one. For if God spare not the natural branch Israel, take heed lest he also spare you not. If you make the same mistakes Israel made, you're going to get the same results. If I cut Israel off, I can cut you off too. I can find me a remnant. I can find me a people. Come on. And we know when God done that is when he visited Cornelius. Peter visited Cornelius' house. And he went to the Gentiles and the Holy Ghost came upon them. And the people of Jerusalem, when they heard about it, were confounded because even upon the Gentiles, the gift of the Holy Ghost was given. That was the time after even the Pentecost that the, the axe was laid to the root of the trees. Israel was rejected and God birthed him a Gentile bride called the church and he reached out and he saved you and I. Give the Lord praise. Now, hang on. This is where some are at in the church world right now and also this nation. God told the warriors, go smite and spare not. When it comes to the church, 1 Corinthians 3.18 applies. Listen to it. No one wants to preach this. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall what? God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. That's New Testament terminology. That's not Old Testament law. If God can judge Ananias and fire and kill them dead in their tracks, he can judge us. When it comes to the world, then verse six of our text applies. It's symbolic. It don't mean everybody's gonna die necessarily, but it means that there is destruction coming. He says, slay utterly. And he uses an allegory or he tells us, he says, kill old and young, both maids and little children and women. He says, in other words, there's no one gonna escape this. There's not gonna be any excuses. There's not gonna be, well, I didn't know. I wanna tell you, you know when you sin. Come on. Other words, what God is saying is destruction is coming to the household of the wicked. It's coming. God is gonna destroy the works of their hands and he's gonna give them the rewards of their actions and they will reap whatever they have sown. They have sown to the flesh and they shall reap of the flesh a whirlwind. No pity, no compassion is going to be given them. The ax is being laid to the roots of the tree. Listen to what Ezekiel asked God in verse 10. He says, is anybody going to be spared in Israel? Is anybody going to be spared in Jerusalem? This is God's word. And as for me, God says, my eyes shall not spare. Neither will I have pity, but I will recompense their, their way upon their own heads. I'm going, to, I'm going to give them the result of their own sin. That's what he said about homosexuality. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn them over to the air of their own way, and I'm going to let their own judgment and their own lifestyle destroy them. Come on. Harsh consequences is about to happen in America. It's, a, it's already happening in the church world. We've seen it. We've just not paid attention to it. Listen to what Proverbs 1, 23 through 31 says. These scriptures we don't like. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will make known my words unto you, God says. Because I have called, you have refused. I've stretched out my hand. You've not regarded, but you have said it not at my counsel. You wouldn't listen to my reproof. You wouldn't take my correction. I'll also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes. He said, your fear is coming. When your fear cometh as desolations, there's the word. What was the whole thing about Ezekiel 9? Desolation. 
And your destruction, there's destruction, cometh as a whirlwind when distress and anguish cometh upon you. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me early, but they shall not find me. I gave them time, ample time to repent, and they wouldn't do it. For they hated knowledge when I gave it to them. They didn't like my enlightenment, and they did not choose to fear the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They would not adhere. They despised all of my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. My, that's a heavy word. Just as the door shut when Noah got on the ark and his family was safe, even so, I want you to know, it's also too late for those that sat outside of the ark of the covenant with God. To the unrepentant, there will be no reversal of the consequences of their sin during this time of divine reset. It's happening. We are witnessing right now, this very hour, big ministries coming down, renowned men of the faith fallen. We see mega churches, mega ministries, mega spiritual empires beginning to crumple. We're seeing the church being shaken. We're seeing it being rocked. I want you to know that right now. We're feeling the heaviness and the weight of what's taking place. We are seeing Christian businessmen's empires collapsing and things coming apart at the seams. This is the first stage of Ezekiel chapter 8 where God is visiting the sanctuary. However, it's moved now. We are also now seeing the collapse of the wicked. Step one's already being taken place. He's already visited the church. He's been visiting the church in that area for some time and we've not paid attention. But now he's beginning to visit our world. We're seeing Hollywood elites crumbling and their wealth drying up. Their movies are bombing and they're turning in on each other like animals right now. There was one movie I got tickled at that Disney thought would actually bring a billion dollars in sales in the, in the box office. And when they got done, it only brought $2 million in, and they spent like $150 million to produce it, and they thought it'd bring a billion. It only sold $2 million worth of tickets. Think about that. We're seeing the wealth of the wicked corporations drying up and worldly empires collapsing. They're all getting involved in woke. We're seeing General Motors in serious trouble because they followed all this nonsense about the green energy and they bought, they built many cars that cost forty dollars and $50,000 a piece that called electric cars to sell and they got lot after lot, hundreds of thousands of these cars and they've marked them down to $24,000 and they still can't sell them. Come on, folks. Look at Disney. They're in trouble financially. They're saying, who would have ever thought that in my day? The divine reset has started, and it's affecting everyone, even the righteous. But don't be afraid. God has you marked. God said to the angel of righteousness, get your inkhorn. Mark everyone that cries and sighs over the abominations of the city. This is what God's doing right now in America church. He's got this angel robed, this messenger, whether it's Christ, I don't know, or whether it's a big angel, I don't know. But it's a messenger of God robed in righteousness. And this is what he's doing. He's going through the churches of America, the congregations as they gather, and he goes, no. Oh, there's a... Nope. Oh, there's a princess. She's one that abhors evil. She shuns the very appearance of evil. There's one with a holy garment. Come on. There's one that's not got no stains or blemishes. And they're marking the church. And they're marking the righteous. Come on. He's going through the church and he's judging it. Ha, ah, there's one that's not got nothing secret. They've been repented of long ago. There's one that's got everything under the blood. Oh, hallelujah. There's none perfect, but the difference is, oh, the blood of Jesus has been applied. Come on. And he's walking to and fro throughout the congregation. He knows the real from the false. He knows the fake. And he knows the counterfeit. And he comes by with the inkhorn. He says, whoa, there's mine. And he puts his mark on us. He puts an identity upon us. You belong to me. Honey, you belong to God. And he's putting this mark upon them. And everybody's saying, well, what's that all about? He's marking his remnant. 
he's saying there's still a remnant that's not bowed their knee. Though there be a, a multiple millions of people and the multitudes of people have influenced others to depart from the faith, there's been some that's been true. They've endured hardness as a good soldier. They're fighting the good fight of faith. They're battle torn. Their clothes are torn. They're war. They're bent over. They're stooped. They're heavy. But God comes by and says, it's all right, darling, where you're at. Don't worry about where you're at. Don't worry about what you're feeling. Don't worry about the heaviness. Don't worry about what's taking place. I've got you marked. I've got a seal upon you. I've got my mark upon you. You belong to me. Hallelujah. Then God tells those angels with the instruments of war in their hand, when you go to bring judgment upon the temple and upon the city, destroy it, it says, those upon whom my mark is upon, don't even come near to them. Don't you touch them. They're sealed for my purpose. Just like Job, he was marked. God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Yeah, I've considered him. You got a hedge about him. You got a, you got a hedge around him. I can't even touch him. Hallelujah. God wants to mark every single one of us, and he don't want one of us to be lost, and he wants all of us to be chosen. Just as God protected the Israelites during the time of the visitation of God upon Egypt with judgment, even so God's going to protect the righteous during the times of divine reset. Don't you want the mark and the seal of God upon your head? Don't you want to be sealed by the Holy Spirit, a promise whereby you're sealed into the day of redemption? Don't you want to be counted worthy to receive the mark of God in your forehead? Like the 144,000 Jews who will be marked for God's purpose in the tribulation period. People don't understand this, but there's going to be 144,000 Jews marked by God. 12,000 out of every tribe during the tribulation. The time of Jacob's trouble. The church is raptured out. Them 144,000 Jews will be marked by God. And even though the Antichrist is in power, hailstones are falling and seals are being broken and judgment has fallen and war and death and famine and uh, uh, marks of the beast is being given and people are being tortured, yet there'll be 144,000 Jews that'll be sealed by God's mark and they can't even be touched and they will evangelize the world during that time and multiple thousands upon thousands and hundreds of thousands of people will give their heart and life to Jesus Christ and the Antichrist has to sit there and watch it because he can't do a thing because there's a seal upon their heads and he can't even touch them. And, and just as that 144,000 Jews are marked for an end time revival during the time of tribulation. There is a remnant coming that's marked by God that's going to bring a revival before the rapture of the church. We are sealed to destiny and promise and no matter what takes place in the world, the righteous is going to flourish like a green bay tree or feet are planted by the rivers of living water and everything we do shall prosper. Do you believe that? Oh, I gotta hurry. I gotta quit. We see in Ezekiel chapter 9, things get rough. Loss, death, famine, judgment, destruction. Everywhere and everybody, where's God? Where's God? Even those that are marked are weary. They're tired, battle-torn. Come on. Who are these? These are those who come out of great tribulation. When all the correction was finished, when all the judgment was done, when all the proper punishment and correction was applied, 
when the smoke was over, divine reset began to be accomplished. Listen to Ezekiel 10, verse 4. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub, stood over the threshold of the house, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. You know what happened? God dealt with the sins of the people at the church. Then God dealt with the sins of the nation. He said, through destruction, through correction, through punishment, all of a sudden people begin to see their awareness, and all of a sudden they begin to cry. And those that had the mark on their head, all of a sudden the glory of God returned back to that temple. The brightnesses of glory came down and it filled the temple again. You think the camp meetings of old were good? Do you, th you think that all of the crusades of Billy Graham and Jimmy Swaggart and Hall Roberts and all that was good? Uh, you ain't seen nothing yet because the former glory was great, but the latter house is going to be greater than the former house. <laughs> and all of a sudden, God said, because you've been true, I'm going to bless you now. With the, you're going to be the carriers of the glory of Almighty God. You're going to be a vessel that like carrying the ark of the covenant. And wherever you put the soles of your feet, I'll split the waters. I'll calm the raging seas. I'll bring forth the dead. I'll open the blinded eyes. I'll make the lame walk again. I'm going to do my works all over because I got a people in who houses the glory of God. Hallelujah. That's coming back. I said it's coming back. I'm going to be standing right smack dab in the middle of it. Amen. You're going to say, fat man, get out of the way. I want some of my, uh-uh. I've been too much, too, too much now to compromise it. I'm not giving up on anything. I'm not compromising an inch because I know the reward. The glory's coming. Those of you that I touched, if you feel comfortable, I want you to come up here and stand. More women up here than men, and that's usually the case. More women house the glory than men do. We're too prideful. God says, okay, I'm judging, but you're the mart. You're the remnant. Now notice something. In this illustration, look how many people's up here. They're the remnant, the chosen. They're the ones that's crying over the abominations. They're sighing, they're weeping, they feel the burden. They're the ones that's got the promise. You're gonna trade your, the garment of heaviness or the spirit of heaviness for the garment of praise. Hallelujah. Weeping has endured for a night, but to y'all joy's coming in the morning. They're the remnant. Look out and see all the people that's left out. Look at the people that missed it. There be more against God than there is for God. Straight is the way and narrow is the way that leadeth to eternal life, but broad is the way. Wide is the gate that leadeth to destruction. There's a way that seemeth right unto men, but the ends thereof is destruction. Come on. Who can know the heart? It is, it is wicked. And people are going, well, I just follow my heart. You better not follow your heart. You better follow the Spirit of God. Come on. This is the remnant. 
When all the smoke settles, many will die, many will be brought to their knees, many will be hospitalized, many will be in trauma, many will be wondering what in the world's taking place. They've devastated, they've lost everything. They've lost their influence, they've lost their wealth, they've lost their health. All kinds of stuff's going to happen to different kinds of people in different ways. But the remnant, though battle-torn, though frail in a way and weak in a way, yet they stand in strength because God has marked them. And God says, the angel didn't touch you. The angel of destruction didn't touch you. And now, because you trusted me during that time, I'm going to entrust you to be the carriers of the glory of God. I'm going to visit with you. And you're going to have an end-time revival that's going to be unbelievable. The church that does not cow down, the church that does not bow its knee, the church that does not give over to woke, the church that doesn't get over to the spirit of this age, they'll stand tall at the end time. They'll be mocked, ridiculed, persecuted, laughed at. Oh, they're just a a bunch of right-wing, stupid, idiot people that carry it to the extreme. Come on. It's all right. Let them say whatever they want. But you know what? I'm marked. Now, how many of you want to be a part of this remnant? I want you to come if you do. I'm giving you a chance to be a part of the remnant. I have been told more than once by outside people, not many from the churches said this, if you just back off some of your hard preaching, man, you'd be running 2,000. I said, but what kind of a 2,000 would I have? I'm not looking for accolades and I'm not here to build a ministry. I'm not here to make a big church. I'm out here to make a remnant. The remnant will take care of its spells and speak for itself. And when the time happens, the glory of God will hit that remnant and watch out the very thing they said I could have had, I will have. Because people will come flooding in and give their life to Jesus Christ as an anointing hits this place and revival hits this place. We're under divine reset right now. But hang on. Get weary and well doing. You shall reap if you faint not. Endure the hardness. Stand tall. Men, quip yourself like men. Be manly. I'm preaching better than you're letting on here. This is what I think about the palace of praise. I believe that we are marked. Our future is brighter than what we can ever imagine if we'll stay true. It's not a time to deny the faith. It's not a time to be a quitter. It's not a time to be a powder. It's a time to trust the Lord in the time of divine reset. And he'll get the remnant to restore the walls of the city. The only hope for America is the remnant. It isn't Donald Trump. It isn't Joe Biden. It ain't the Democrats. It ain't the Republicans. It's the divine agent of the Holy Spirit being poured out from God the Father under the intercessory of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. The Savior of America is not the conservatives or the liberals. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah.
truth. Okay. Now we're clapping. But if you want to remain marked during this time of reset, you got to do something. You got to sigh. You got to cry. You got to weep. You got to pray. You got to travail over the abominations and the sins of the nation. Come on. You got to have a, oh my, we're lost, God, with a, you got to get to a place. I can't do nothing anymore, God. I just fall on my face, and I know I have a need of you. And God, I just lay it at the feet of Jesus, and all I can do is pray. And if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I'll turn from their sins, then I will heal their land. I will forgive their sins. So start praying right now. Start humbly saying, God, give us revival. God, give us divine reset. Forgive us. Forgive us. We repent. Oh.